Thank you, Colleen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for that promise that your eye is on each one of us. Lord, we thank you for the tender care that you have over each and every person in this room. For the deep regard you have for each and every one of us. Regard and love that is beyond our comprehension. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you will speak to us now and encourage our hearts as we open your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again, Colleen. That was beautiful. We appreciate it. Those of you that prayed for me during the week on my back, thank you. I'm uh, wearing my girdle once again, so if you see me pulling at this thing, I know you enjoy hearing that last week. You get to hear it again this week. But thank you for your prayers for my back. I have a wonderful PT, Tony. I was telling Tony um, that last week there was, most of you as you came out, the doors were saying, you know, we're praying for your back and stuff. But a few of you wanted to know who was the PT that worked with the Washington Wizards. So that's Tony, Tony uh, Tuman. We're, I'm grateful to him. He's been working on me, and we have an appointment tomorrow night again to keep working on some, some things. So uh, my wife is grateful as well, Tony, because she was a little bit worried about me. Uh, she I was a little bit bent over. Uh, during part of the week, and she said she'd never quite seen me so crooked, and she's seen me at some of my most crooked moments, so, uh, and, uh, and she also uh, is grateful as well, because now, this morning, she only had to put on my socks and not my pants as well, so that's how bad it got, so we're grateful for, for that. If you will, open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 13 on that little transition, John chapter 13 and verse 5. John chapter 13 and verse 5 from our scripture reading this morning. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, but any Bible you have is fine. You can use the pew Bibles in the racks or, of course, your iPads, your iPhones, or those other devices you may use. Have them as well. John chapter 13 and verse 5. Then he, speaking of Jesus, poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. I want to talk to you today about foot washing in preparation for our communion service, which is next week. I was told once that long before I was born, or at some point before I was born, that pastors used to get up on the, on the Sabbath before communion service and encourage the people to prepare their hearts for the communion service the following week. The new rule in Adventism is try not to remind the people that communion is coming because we want them to show up. I'm going to break that rule because I think the old tradition is better than the new. And so today I want to discuss with you the practice, the almost extinct practice, uh, practice of foot washing. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And he wrote this, we tend to associate, he said, foot washing with small denominations tucked away in the hills of Appalachia, no offense to you that come from the hills of Appalachia. Only a few denominations, he says, carry on the practice of foot washing. For the rest, the whole notion seems primitive and rural and unsophisticated. 
We're not in the hills of Appalachia, though we're not too far geographically. But we are one of those few denominations. In fact, we, we, we may be the only major denomination in the world that still practices the discipline of foot washing. The primitive, rural, unsophisticated practice of foot washing. It is a practice that many, even within our church, would not mind if it just slowly faded away and disappeared into the periphery or rode off into the sunset somewhere. There are those, even amongst us, if we're honest with ourselves, that feel that the whole thing is a little bit weird and a little bit odd in some ways. Some have said that the washing of feet is, is, is no longer relevant. It's no longer relevant because people no longer are, are walking barefoot. They're no longer walking through manure-filled streets or the, or the dusty fields in uh, open shoes or, or barefoot. I would contend maybe the very fact that, that most have abandoned, the very fact that most have abandoned this practice may be a reason for us to give it a second look. Most, because most of us see it as primitive and rural and unsophisticated and therefore have given it up. Maybe that's a reason for us to, to, to hold on to it for a little bit longer. Maybe by the very fact that even those within our own faith community, many within our own faith community, now say rather than washing feet, we should go and do something else. Maybe we should, as one individual recommended to me at another church one time, I think we should go wash each other's cars. That would make us a little uncomfortable on Sabbath, so maybe we should go wash each other's cars, or maybe we should just go serve the homeless, both things that would be good, both of which would be fine, but, but not, I believe, as an alternative. Maybe these appeals, maybe the evidence that, that there are fewer and fewer people that desire to do this, maybe that's a reason that we should think about it. Maybe the reason that, that there are so fewer people attending on a communion Sabbath than on other Sabbaths or that so many slip out when the invitation goes to wash feet. You know, we do the, the, the sermon part and then we invite people to go and, and wash feet and then come back in for, the, for the, the bread and the juice. And, and as people go out into the foyer, as everyone's out there mingling, someone says, oh, I just need to real quick run to my car. And as they run to their car, their car happens to run out the parking lot. Never for them to return. Maybe, maybe because of this, maybe because of this, we should give foot washing another thought. Maybe these are evidences of the continued need of this ancient spiritual discipline. Maybe there's, there's something within us. God knew there's something within us that, that needed to be reminded of this and that our sinful nature would, would continually resist and, and push against this practice. And Jesus understood that. Or maybe we could just continue it because Jesus simply asked us to continue it. John chapter 13 and verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, speaking of Jesus, and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. You also ought to wash one another's feet, Jesus said. Isn't that enough for us as believers in Jesus to fully embrace this ancient discipline? But some say, some commentators say, but Jesus was really only speaking to the disciples in the context of that moment. 
He was talking to those 12. It was not a universal expectation. It was, it was, it was that special event for Jesus. Just to the men who would become the apostles. He was encouraging them to, to serve one another and to serve the people the way that he had served the people. To show that, that leadership, that servant leadership. And then there's other commentators, one that I read this week, that say, may argue that this was just a metaphor for, for serving one another. Surely Jesus didn't mean, this, this uh, commentator said, that we should all be expected to do it as well. Surely Jesus didn't mean this. It was just a metaphor. It was a metaphor for service. Jesus was giving us an, a, a living metaphor. We've talked about this in the past here at this church, about Jesus, Jesus gave us these living metaphors, these living pictures of, of service, and maybe that's what Jesus was doing here. There's even one that said that there's not really any evidence that foot washing took place by the followers of Jesus beyond this. I would encourage that person to study their Bible more. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll see, was it just about service? Was this act just about a metaphor for service? 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul here is writing to a young pastor about how to care for widows within the church. And, and this chapter actually struck me in several ways because because my thought is always we, we just are to care for the widows, and I think there's a, there is a context for that. But Paul actually gives some stipulations on the widows within the church that should be cared for, the, the qualifications for, for those in which they should be cared for. And, and in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul writing to this young pastor about the widows within the church, he lists a number of criteria. Now I want you to think about this for just one second. There's those commentators that say, the foot washing was only in the context of the disciples. There are those, con uh, there are those it, it commentators that say the foot washing was only a metaphor for how we should continue to serve one another within the church. And like I said, there was even one author that I read that said there's not really evidence of, of further foot washing anywhere in the scriptures. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 5, I want you to think about this. This was written some 35 years after the death of Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. A widow is to be put on the list, speaking of the widows that are to be served, only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. In other words, if she's under the age of 60, she can still continue to serve and to work and to support herself. Having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she, have, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Did you catch that odd qualifier right there in the middle of the list? Seems like a very odd qualifier. The rest of them seem quite normal. You know, she's, she's, she's old enough that she, that, that she hasn't worked, that she can't work anymore to support herself. That's understandable. She has a good reputation of good work. She's been hospitable to strangers. She's assisted those in distress. She's, she's always devoted herself to every good work. Those seem pretty normal, but then there's that odd qualifier right in the middle. Has she participated in the washing of feet, of the saints' feet, those being her fellow believers? So this wasn't just a practice for the disciples, just for the apostles, just for the men, just for the context of that night. It seems like this is something that, that not only was practiced beyond, but, but Paul seems to indicate here in some situations that, that it was an expectation for believers to continue doing this some 30 years after Jesus did it in that upper room. 
Folk, next week we gather to meet, to meet and to participate in communion. And part of that for us as Seventh-day Adventists is the washing of feet. And I believe that God is still calling us as a people to wash one another's feet. I believe this is still very relevant for our time. The very fact that there's something in me that doesn't necessarily want to do this is a good thing. I have to kind of war against that awkwardness within me. When I was a kid and my dad first asked me if I would participate in the foot washing service with him, I said, no way. And, and I kind of got belligerent even about it, like, da 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 I wasn't much of a, of, a, of a Jesus person at that point in time. There's a couple of people here visiting in our congregation right now. I'm not going to look at them intentionally because I don't want you to talk to them about how, how much I wasn't into Jesus at that time. But, but my dad said to me, you know, well, you're being ridiculous. And I said, I'm ridiculous. You're the one washing people's feet. Who's ridiculous? To which my six foot three, uh, very large father kind of glowered at me and I realized that I should probably not have called him ridiculous in church. Um, but I thought, that's what I thought. There was something about that. There's something about it that makes us very uncomfortable. And, and for some of you, you may say, well, it's my foot phobia that I have against feet, and I'm not comfortable with feet. That, that may be the case. But, but for most of us, there's just something uncomfortable, and I think there's something in our sinful nature that, that resists this practice that Jesus called us to do. And maybe Jesus knew that. Not maybe. Definitely Jesus knew that about us, that we would have that resistance. You see, I believe that Jesus still desires for us to wash one another's feet. But this information, and that it is still relevant, is not how we prepare our hearts for this service. It simply affirms that we need to continue it. So how do we prepare our hearts to wash one another's feet? How do we prepare our hearts to put ourselves in this position to, to serve one another in this way? Go back to the book of John, chapter 13 again. Then he poured water, verse 5 again. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded, verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I want us to hear something that we know and that we've probably heard a thousand times, but I want to say it again. What Jesus did in this moment was so startling and so degrading and so horrific of a thing that he did that, that a master, a master could not even require a Jewish slave to wash feet. You had to have a pagan or a Gentile wash feet. A, a Jewish master could not require their Jewish slave to wash someone's feet. It was such a degrading act. And yet here Jesus is doing it. This is why Peter, this, this is why Peter reacts the way that he did. We oftentimes give Peter a, a hard time. In all the stories, Peter is kind of the guy that we pick on. Oh, Peter spoke too soon, or, or Peter was this, or Peter was that. Uh, probably if you go back and look at, at all those stories, you'd realize that you may react just the same way. We give Peter a hard time because Peter says, no, no, Lord, you're, you're not going to wash my feet. Never will I let you wash my feet. And we can look at it now from our, our modern context and say, oh, Peter, you should have just paid attention and let the Lord do what he did. We're a bit hard on Peter, but, but folk, if the President of the United States was at your house, you wouldn't make him hang up his own jacket? 
You want to make him take his own seat, uh, uh, plate to the sink? You want to say, uh, uh, you, you put that in the sink, but you didn't rinse, rinse it off yet. You need to rinse that off. Some of you may say, well, I really don't like the President of the United States. I would do that. I think you're all lying. Because <laughs> the fact of the matter is, if the President of the United States was in our, in our presence, we would, we would definitely change. It's like the police officer that I once met from out in the Northwest and he was telling me a story. He says, I am a staunch Republican. I mean, I am a staunch Republican. And I, and I hated Bill Clinton, he said. And, and, he, and he said, and everybody knew it. He was probably one of these that sent around those horrible emails that people send around about presidents of the United States. And, and everybody knew it. And he said, and then one time I found myself on a detail that had to uh, provide security for the president of the United States, Bill Clinton. And he said, I was there in a room, and all of a sudden, President Clinton walks in, and I find myself face-to-face -face with Bill Clinton. And he walks up to me, and he introduces himself. He sticks out his hand, and he shakes my hand, and asks me my name, and he asks me several questions, and, 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 and asks me uh, about my family, and thanked me for my service, and thanked me for my protection. And then he walked out the door. And he said, and for those 60 to 90 seconds, I was the most devout Democrat in the whole land. <laughs> we give Peter a hard time, but the truth of the matter is, is, is if we saw Jesus doing this thing that we thought was despicable, there's just certain understanding we have. We, cultural folk, there's certain cultural respect that we have for certain individuals. And Peter in this moment says, you cannot do this. It was such a shocking moment. Author M. Scott Peck writes this about it. Until that moment, the whole point of things had been for someone to, to get on top. And once he had gotten on top, to stay on top or else attempt to get farther up. But here this man already on top who was a rabbi, teacher, master, suddenly got down on the bottom and began to wash the feet of his followers. In that one act, Jesus symbolically overturned the whole social order, hardly comprehending what was happening. Even his own disciples were almost horrified by his behavior. I wouldn't say they were almost horrified by his behavior. They were horrified by his behavior. So what prepared Jesus' heart? What prepared Jesus' heart to be able to wash his disciples' feet. What prepared the one that was on top to come down to the bottom? What prepared the one who, who was greater than all things to do this horrific, unimaginable act for his fellow men? What prepared the heart of the master to take on the form of a slave, not even a Jewish slave, but a pagan and a Gentile slave? I believe the answer is found in the book of Philippians chapter 2, beginning with the last two words of verse 5. Again, Paul writing to the church in Philippi now. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with the last two words of verse 5. Christ Jesus, and then into verse 6, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is this telling us? This is telling us the reason that Jesus could get down and wash dirty feet. The reason that Jesus could, could do this degrading act. The reason that Jesus could do this, this thing that his disciples thought was horrific. The reason Jesus could do this thing that we're a little bit still uncomfortable with. The reason that Jesus could do this thing that so many people, when they hear about this Sabbath coming, they, they intentionally plan on that day to go to the beach or to the mountains or, or maybe this was just the day, oops, I slept in. Hopefully you aren't all planning that while we're sitting here right now for next week. What was it that, that, that caused Jesus to be willing to do this? It's because he humbled himself. The Bible says he humbled himself. I want to explain biblical humility quickly because I think in order to understand the depth of what Jesus did there in that moment, we have to understand biblical humility. And maybe the best way to understand biblical humility is to contrast it with what we describe as modern humility. Modern humility looks much different than I think biblical humility looks like. I'm gonna ask for a volunteer here and I'm gonna ask my friend Nathan Hess to come up. This isn't planned at all. So Nathan, God bless you for serving. <laughs> Grab that microphone. I don't know who's back there on the, is that Lisa? Can, uh, can you turn on this mic? Come on up here, Nathan. Nate, this wasn't planned at all, so, so if this illustration goes awry, let's all blame Nathan, okay? Definitely. Uh, this is Nathan Hess, by the way. He teaches at our, our school, Spencerville Avenue Academy, along with his lovely wife, Carrie. And uh, thank you for coming up and participating in this act. Now, I'm going to give you a compliment, and I want you to respond to that compliment uh, in, in, in a way that, um, that we would do in a modern setting, Okay. So are you, are you ready for this? Sure. Okay. I'm trying to think of my compliment. It's tough. It's tough. I see you have a little bit of a receding hairline. Maybe. Right here. Maybe just a little bit. No, you don't. You actually have nice hair, too. I'm jealous of your nice hair. You have really... <laughs> why do all of you have better hairlines than me? You have a really nice hairline, Nathan. This is my best compliment I've come up with yet. Nathan, you are a good-looking man. You have a really nice hairline. Thank you, Chad. I, I don't think it's not good, though. It's not as receding as yours is. <laughs> I knew I should have asked Steve. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Now I'm turning red. <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, you can sit down. You kind of proved my point. <laughs> but you insulted me in the process, so you kind of messed up. <laughs> You know, I called Rob Fuller up in the first uh, service, and I've, I've complimented Rob several times on his full head of hair. Is Rob still here? No? I complimented Rob several times on his wonderful head of hair, and I, and I said I specifically didn't comp bring Jason up because I, you know, I wasn't as jealous of his hair. And uh, so I was thinking when I was sitting here looking out there, I was like, you know, it looks like Nathan has a receding hairline. I'm going to give him a compliment that he is so good looking, and it gives me hope because uh, I have a receding hairline too, and then once he actually got right up there, I realized up close he doesn't have that receding of hairline. So there's, there's what happens with spontaneous uh, uh, illustrations. But the point is, is when, he said, when I said that to him and he said thank you, and they said, you know, I don't really think it's, you know, uh, 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 that great of a hairline, 
That's kind of how we in modern times think of humility. Someone says something to us and we say, oh, well, thank you, but, you know, it's not really. I, you know, I didn't do anything. Someone says, oh, you're, that was a, the greatest sermon. Here's a little hint on, on preachers. Oh, that was the greatest sermon. What do preachers say? Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You know, that's our, that's our, that's our humble, humble statement, right? That's what we do. People say, oh, man, that is just so wonderful. You're, you're so, you're so, uh, you look so good today. Oh, thank you, so do you. Uh, we immediately defer, right? Humility is this big deference, denying whatever someone else was saying. That is modern humility. But biblical humility really had nothing to do with that. Jesus, in fact, in, in the text, as we read the text, what does Jesus say? If I am your Lord and your master, in other words, if I am superior to all of you, he doesn't deny it. They don't say, man, Jesus, you are the greatest. And he goes, oh, well, thank you. It's really, it's nothing. I just, uh, it's not how Jesus responds. So what is biblical humility? When it talks about Jesus humbled himself, he wasn't denying who he was. He wasn't denying his greatness. Peter at one point says, Lord, you're the Messiah. You're the master. You're the one who was sent to save us. And Jesus says, and you're right in what you say. Jesus didn't deny who he was or, or, or feign humility. So what is biblical humility? The word actually there means, the word that, that is translated humble actually means to submit oneself freely in full obedience. Humility actually is not to deny the blessings that God has given, but to live in absolute obedience. We think of humble as, well, he doesn't brag, he doesn't take credit for anything. Now, I don't think we should be bragging or taking credit for things. But that's not biblical humility. Biblical humility is a person who freely and willingly lives in obedience to all that God asks. So when we say Jesus was the master that took on the form of the slave, we are saying we're not saying that he is saying, well, I'm the master, but, but no, really, I'm no better than a slave. No, it's more like I am the master, but I will obey as if I am a slave. I am the master, but I will obey as if I am the slave. Humility in the Bible equates to freely rendered obedience. Freely rendered obedience. Verse 8 of Philippians 2. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedience. You remember the words of Jesus? No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative, my own free will, I lay my life down. He was obedient to his cause, to the mission that was set before him. Jesus is saying, I freely obey. That is biblical humility. When we read the text in Scripture, Humble yourselves before the Lord. Blessed are the humble. It's not just saying the person who doesn't take credit for things or the person who defers the compliment. It's saying blessed are those who live in willing obedience to God. Blessed are those who, who, who live in surrendered obedience to God freely. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Live in obedience before God. Jesus was prompted in that moment to wash 
his disciples' feet by God the Father. And what prepared his heart to be willing to do this horrific, this, this, this degrading, this humiliating act? What prepared his heart, the heart of the master, to obey as if he was a slave taking orders? It was that he lived in constant humility, humbling himself. How do we prepare our hearts for the foot washing for the communion service next week? How do we prepare for that moment so that, so that when it comes, we don't figure out a way to, to avoid it or dodge it? We ask for humility in this week ahead. We ask God to give us biblical humility in this week ahead. Not the humility, again, that if someone gives you a compliment, you say, oh, no. The humility that if God asks you to do something, if, if, if the word of God speaks to you and says, do this thing, that you willingly and fully and freely obey. Humility like that of Jesus to obey anything asked of you and to do so freely and gladly. And what Jesus has asked all of us to do that call ourselves Christians, if I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. How do we prepare our hearts in this week ahead? We prepare our hearts by every day seeking to live in obedience to who God calls us to be and what God calls us to be. Now, folk, I want to say something very clearly. If you go out of here today and you say to yourself, okay, this week I am going to set my mind, I'm going to set my, my heart, I'm going to set my intentions to being obedient, and I'm going to dig in and I'm going to work hard to be obedient, you will fail. Do you hear me? Last time I read the scriptures, I believe it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of you may say, well, yeah, in my past I sinned and fell short of the glory of God, but now I'm doing much better. You just did, so there you go. You're back with all the rest of us. But if this week, I wake up each morning and I say, you know what, Jesus, can we talk together? Can we spend some time together? If this week, each hour and each moment of the day, I say to Jesus, will you give me the humility that you have? He will give us that victory. We will have that victory. I want to invite you now to pull out your connection cards real quick. And I'm going to say something. My commitment today or my response today. I understand the first box. On the back of the card there in the, in the rectangular box on your left. I understand that Jesus implemented the foot washing service and that it is still relevant for us today. I hope that you understand this. I know we went through it briefly uh, and we didn't give a ton of context for why it's relevant. I hope you understand that it is still relevant for us today. It is not something that is to be done away with. It is not something to be done away with. Like I said, my very nature that, 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 that says, oh, I, I don't know, this is a little bit uncomfortable, should be kind of an indicator within me that, that, that this is still a good thing. This is still something that God can use to shape me and to mold me and to form me. I understand that it's still relevant for us today. I understand that when Jesus said, you will do likewise, I, I believe that Jesus meant 
from now until the end of history. I see the evidence in, in the widow in Matthew or in First Timothy chapter five, who who wa- one of the requirements was to wash feet. And the second one, my commitment today, I ask the Lord to prepare my heart by humbling me as he humbled himself in surrendered obedience. I ask the Lord to prepare my heart to humble me as he humbled himself in surrendered obedience. Again, folks, I'm not asking you to try to be obedient this week, okay? Hear this loud and clear. Uh, This is not a work unto salvation. We're saved by Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to try to be obedient this week. The only way we can be humbled is through relationship with Jesus. So here's what I'm asking you to do. This week, in preparation for next week's communion, here's what I'm asking you to do. Spend more time with Jesus, period. Can we do that? Can we all agree to that? Don't dig in harder and say, I'm gonna focus really on being obedient. Here's what I want you to focus on. More and more of Jesus, amen? Can we do that? Is that able? We're gonna pray for you this week as you turn in these cards, and we'll pray that all of us will have our hearts and our minds prepared for the communion service next week. And that as we wash one another's feet, as we wash one another's feet, we'll remember that we are living in humility before our God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the example you set of servant leadership. Though you were on top, you were willing to come down low. But it wasn't just about being willing to come down low. It was about modeling for us a willingness to freely obey all that your Father asked of you. Lord, so I pray, Jesus, that this week you will be in each one of our hearts and you will teach us and you will humble us as you humbled yourself. In your name we pray, amen.